talking all things training, sport performance, and business, and covering the most important topics to enhance your training and better your career. I'm your host, Jared Filippo, and this is Muscles and Management brought to you by Challenger Strength, where we build your body and your business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 11 of the Muscles and Management podcast. Uh, first things first, I just want to say I can't believe it's uh, episode 11 already. I actually got an email um, earlier this week about uh, you know congratulating me on my uh, my 10th official posting of the podcast. So uh, pat on the back to uh, all of you for listening to me for that long. I can imagine that's uh, difficult. Um, all jokes aside, thank you. Uh, I, time does fly. I can't believe this is already episode 11. Um, you know, I really am enjoying doing this. So I hope you all are enjoying listening as well. Um, and we'll continue to grow this and get some more guests on and talk about some important topics for all of you. Um, as always, with that being said, please subscribe, like, share, uh, and you know, request um, topics to ask questions. That's the most important thing. It gives me um, things to talk about and stuff of that nature. Announcement number two. I have decided to uh, get rid of my attempt to, I guess, quote-unquote, be a uh, perfect uh, Catholic boy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Catholic, obviously, but I said that. But, uh, you know, with refraining from cursing, I'm not saying I'm going to just be a total degenerate and just start throwing curse words left and right for no reason, but um, I do think letting my, you know, true personality show a little bit, um, you know, I'm not a, you know, super, super proper person. I'm a uh, loudmouth Italian from North Jersey who likes to train athletes uh, and is pretty good at it. So I'm going to, you know, kind of let the, let my hair down, so to speak. And, uh, you know, just wanted to make that known. Um, the episodes will be marked with the E for explicit next to them. Um, but by most of my audience, you know, are older, uh, they're coaches, uh, older athletes, and I think the youngest youngest athletes that I would look, I would probably get listeners from is like that high school age, um, and I'm sure they're hearing a lot of similar talk from coaches, parents, etc. Even using it themselves. Hell, I uh, I train a lot of uh, high school kids, so I'm not um, naive to uh, how they're speaking. And I was I'm only 24, so I was a high school kid uh, not too long ago, and uh, we talked like sailors. So, with that being said, that's just my warning uh, from that point of view. Which brings me to something I probably will curse a lot about because I think it's a total crock of shit. There you go. Curse word number one. Crock of shit. That's two now. Two times. Anyway, why sports-specific training? Huge quotes around that because it is really, really misused. Is the most overused, oversold, and misunderstood phrase in sports performance training. People, prepare yourselves. I hate the, the improper use of this. In the world of sports performance training, strength conditioning, etc. So, without further ado, I guess the the biggest way the sports specific training is commonly misinterpreted um, lies in the fact that people don't understand, and a lot of this is a lot of trainers. And I want to say, um, I mean, a lot of trainers. There's a decent amount. Um, you know, there's a lot of for as many bad trainers are. There's a lot of good ones that are with me on this, preaching the same things. I see them on Twitter. We talk about it a lot. Um, even trainers that I work with, you know, in person, therapists that I work with in person who understand this. But um, I think a lot of the issue comes with, too, that uh, a lot of parents and a lot of athletes um, have this, you know, false idea that sport needs to be brought into the weight room, into the sports performance setting of training uh, for training to truly be geared towards um, getting you better at your sport. So that is the first thing. First and foremost, understand that is completely wrong. 
you do not need to and you should not bring your sport into um, directly into your weight training or your training room um, or your sports performance speed training of any kind. Um, basically, the two main areas here we're going to talk about. Um, general physical preparation, GPP. GPP is known as your generic or your, your regular strength and speed training, uh, things done in the weight room with your strength coach or your sports performance coach um, to get you faster, stronger, more explosive. That is GPP. We try to build GPP to getting you better uh, and getting a good transfer on the field. We'll get to more of that uh, or the core or the ice, whatever you play uh, later. SPP, sports-specific performance, sports-specific training, is purely reserved for activity that's done in either practice or games for your particular sport. Understand that right away. They are two distinctly different things. I might have some wise-ass guys say, oh, who are you to tell me what the definition of sports-specific training is? Uh, it's not even really coming from me. I, I'm just intelligent enough to understand that a lot of the people that have said it for the years before I even got into this field um, were very correct in saying it, that sports-specific training is literally what you do in practice with your sport coach or in games. Do not try to say that you can put the two of them together. They do not go together. Put a wall between your general physical preparation that you perform with your strength coach or in your training, your strength training and speed training, and separate it. Put that big wall between what goes on there and what goes on during your practices or your games. They are two completely different things that should not be put together. And I will get to this later, but what you should be trying to do is tailor your GPP Especially as you get older, so with like your younger athletes or your, um, you know, your athletes that are just beginning their training blocks, yes, you keep things more generic and just work on um, overall strength and power. But we will get into how you can slowly transfer and, and gradually build up and make your um, GPP transferable uh, to your sport. So we will get into that. But do not try to blend the two together. Peanut butter and jelly, great together. Reese's has the chocolate and peanut butter thing down. I don't think anybody's going to really have a lot of success trying to put sports-specific training and GPP together. Not a good recipe. Usually disaster. I'll explain why. First of all, one of the biggest things that, we, that I see, I'll say we, and when I say we, I mean the collective group of intelligent trainers that I like to associate myself with, see in this area that is completely incorrect, is bringing sport implements, bats, balls, sticks, etc., into the weight room. Let's go over a couple of reasons why that could be detrimental. First and foremost, you're here to train, right? I'm here to get you stronger, and I'm saying I am because I'm a strength coach. Stronger, faster, more explosive, more powerful. Your PT is here to help you improve your range of motion, limit, remove your dysfunction, heal, help heal your injuries, whatever it is, right? Rehab, whatever it may be. Your sport coach will have you use the bats, balls, sticks, etc. Rule number one. They actually know what you should be doing with those things. I'm not going to have a hockey player. And I train a lot of hockey players. I watch a lot of hockey for the last three years. I've learned a decent amount, right? And this is even the best example I can use because I played baseball for 15 years. And I still don't have myself teaching kids or, or using bats while we train. Anyway, the sport coach knows best in terms of how those movements need to be done and what you need to be doing to make sure that those get better. Your strength coach, 9.5 times out of 10... 95% of the time isn't going to have the proper knowledge onto what needs to be done with those movements to make anything productive with using them in um, the strength training setting. And not only will it be productive, it could actually be detrimental. Here is why. First and foremost, putting a load 
you know, putting a band around your baseball bat, putting a band around your hockey stick, um, you know, to let's just say, oh, I'm improving my, you know, rotational ability, my rotational power because it's resisted, right? Um, you know, oh, you uh, you have people do sprints with a sled, um, you know, to build their speed. Why can't I have someone put a stick or a bat with a band and get them better with their swing? First of all, I teach kids how to sprint. I know what sprint should look like. I understand the form. I also know that when I put a resisted sled or have them do a sled push, I know that those things are geared towards not only one, putting them in a position to put more force into the ground or develop force more rapidly. Most importantly, they put them in a proper position we want. What do I mean by that? You're doing a sled sprint. One of the main ways, reasons we use a sled, uh, resisted sled sprint is to give you a proper acceleration angle if you can't get in that position. I could give a kid a hockey stick and tie a freaking band around it and totally mess up their, uh, their, their movement. I don't know what it's supposed to look like. I don't know how that band resistance is going to alter what they can or cannot do. Uh, limiting, like I said, rule number one, limiting range of motion, right? So I don't know if I put that 15-pound or 18-pound band resistance around their hockey stick or their baseball bat, how that's going to impact what the movement looks like. I don't, under, I, I don't know. I, what, what the hell do I know? I don't teach it. Oh, great. You know, little Johnny has his band around his stick. He's really getting powerful. But I just ruined his shot. Now he can't make a goal. Now he can't score a goal. He's shooting the puck. It's flying this way, flying that way. Kid can't make contact with the ball. Coach is pissed off. Oh, my strength trainer had me do it. No, wrong. Parents. You don't. If your trainer, if you bring your son or your daughter somewhere and they have you say, bring your stick for next time, and it's for anything other than, like, cool, I want to see it because I'm curious. Take your money, walk out the door, maybe whack the guy with the stick, and get the hell out of there. Absolutely ridiculous. So I said, limits range of motion. They don't know what they're looking for. Obvious, the obvious reasons. It can ruin form. I'm a strength coach, and I'll admit it. I have no clue about you know what a hockey swing, should, hockey hockey shot should look like. Um, I have no clue what uh, what positional offensive linemen should have with their feet. Um, when they're trying to, you know, get in position for a block. Like, oh, I'll have my offensive lineman put a band around his um, ankles and a weighted vest on and he'll do his, you know, um, pass protection, you know, I'm going to call them jab steps. I'm, I'm a, I apologize if I'm wrong on that um, because I'm a really, really good trend coach and I'm bringing the sport into the training because I'm really good uh, and I'm better than everybody else. Bud's words, sports specific, pay me a lot of money. No, bullshit. You're going to ruin it. I could say that 14, 15, 16, 17, 20,000 times just to keep on reiterating the fact that you will ruin the movement, right? The next point, shout out. Um, there's a coach on uh, Twitter that I follow, um, Jason. I want to, let me just, I'm going, literally going through Twitter right now. Just make sure I get his name right because uh, I don't want to say it the wrong way. Give me one second. Uh, yeah, Jason Spray. So Jason is actually a pretty well-known coach in the industry. Um, I'm going to read his bio real quick just because shout out to him because he's uh, an awesome coach who, who I interact with on there. Um, he's, he's been the National Strength Coach of the Year, 15-year uh, college strength coach, and he's been featured on the NFL Network. He trains a couple of Tennessee Titan uh, players currently, I believe. So that tells you all you need to know about him. He had a really good post the other day about, um, and, and this is in his words, not muddying the waters. I think it's a great way to put it. Um, seeing a lot of strength coaches try to uh, blend sport into um, 
the training and, and kind of like use resistance for sport specific movements um, as a way of saying that they're blending it or see sport coaches themselves try to do things like, um, hey, I'm going to have my hockey players today go outside and, you know, put five pound weights around their sticks to, you know, help them with their wrist strength and everything. Fine. Like, granted, I know you you're checking the box of like, you know what the movement's supposed to look like, but like you're probably better off having them just do forearm work and grip work in the gym. And it'll just transfer over to the, to the, uh, to the ice with their shot, like get them better at maybe like, I see a lot of the hockey coaches. They'll use like heavy pucks and they'll work on, you know, form with the shot. But again, they know what the shot's supposed to look like. They're not me, big meathead who gets kids, you know, stronger and and faster and and does sprints and, and squats and stuff. Um, having kids shoot pucks. I don't know what the form's supposed to look like. I could totally ruin the movement, totally ruin it. So that's like the biggest reason. Don't muddy the waters. Um, another expression I like is being a jack of all trades and a master of none, right? Um, the most effective training protocol kind of, or not kind of, happens when um, you have, you know, the sport or the sport coach is, you know, doing the sport things. The strength coach is doing the speed and strength work. The rehab professionals are doing the rehab work. And not only they're on the same page, but they stick in their lane. They stay in their lane. Um, they don't try to do too much. I, I kind of try to catch myself sometimes personally, um, being someone that does a lot of stuff with movements and analyzing rotational movements and, and speed and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, aside from an occasional tip, if I see something that could really help somebody, really try to stay out of the way of my baseball players and their coaches. Um, I've been trying to do that even more so now. One, not to be hypocritical, but two, because I realize that like it can be detrimental in the sense if it's too much. Um, if it's every once in a while and it's something big and it's really a movement specific thing or like a dysfunction that I can help with, that's fine. But like really try not to be giving like side hitting and pitching lessons or side hockey lessons or football, etc. Um, it can be really damaging. Um, just, just again, just something, just hammering this home, mimicking sports and, you know, with either the using the implements or other means, it doesn't make the training any more effective. It's making it less effective. And I, I really do think, unfortunately, that a lot of it comes from the fact that um, these coaches and these trainers are trying to sell and have a marketing pitch, and the parents eat it right up. It's just it's it, it's it's worthless. It's a waste of time. Um, you know, I, I can't. I, when are we gonna like? Kids will go have who have been to another trainer. Maybe come to me like, oh, when are we gonna introduce the sports stuff? Like, we're not going to go. Like, it, it's just a waste of time. Go to the strength coach for the strength and the speed work. Go to the sport coach for the work with your shot, with your um, your movements, your your release, with your back. Like, really, I'm going to have a kid come in here. I'm sorry. Now I'm getting on a fucking rant because it just pisses me off so much. I'm going to have a kid. And you can see I'm not comfortable saying the word, saying cursing because I kind of like half said, uh, half said that. But um, you get a kid come in here and I'm like, oh, you're a basketball player. Here's an eight-pound medicine ball. Work on your wrist strength in your shot. Are you fucking kidding me? Really? You're going to tell me that's going to be good for a basketball player? We could spend all the time in the world getting them better with their vertical jump, making them overall more explosive and powerful. And we're going to really pick, we're going to toss a kid a med ball and think that we're going to say, hey, go shoot with an eight-pound med ball and that's going to help them? Like, are you serious? No, like that, there you go. That's like just pissing me off. I'm getting, my blood pressure's going through the roof as I talk about this. It's ridiculous. Leave that to the coaches all right that's just another example bottom line to summarize general physical preparation speed and strength training separate from sport specific performance 
some of the issues that can arise when you try to bring the sport into the weight room. Using resistance on a sport-specific activity can limit the range of motion. Leave a strength coach who does not understand the movement properly to ruin form or be detrimental to the movement and things of that nature. It does not need to be done. Separate the two and you will have a more effective training program and see better results. So with all of that being said, I'm sure some of the listeners or maybe a lot of them, I don't know, or people in general, if you don't listen, people that would give this response. So if you're going to separate uh, and you don't want to mix sport and training, well, then how do we most effectively um, you know, make the training the most productive most conducive for the sport so first and foremost i will say this if you're if your training age is low like you've only been training for a year or two you haven't trained at all you're a new athlete um you should have like no concern whatsoever in trying to put your sport into uh your training or make your training i should say the other way around um make your training you know more beneficial uh to your sport and i will say this for this reason um you are at such a young age and have such limited um power, uh, I guess you can say, um, you know, strength, movement capabilities, etc. You just really need to master the, you know, the main fundamentals, the squat, the hinge, the lunge, like all those movement patterns, the push, pull, etc. Um, you know, get your core strong and be able to brace your spine and all that kind of stuff. Like that's going to go the longest way for you in the long run. And like the first, you know, year or two of your training, like get that stuff hammered out. Um, I'm not going to have an 11 year old come in here doing, you know, um, I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm not gonna have an 11 year old come in here doing, you know, incredibly, you know, uh, sophisticated medicine ball throw rotate, you know, rotation, medicine ball rotational throws with like, you know, jumps prior to throws with the weight transfers and all that kind of stuff. Like I would have like my 17 year old uh, pitcher do who's been training for five years, like two, and he has a really good base underneath him, like two completely different things. So that's just the first thing I wanted to say, like. You gotta just make sure to keep it simple for the younger athletes and the athletes just start just starting out. Like the, the, worrying about their sport with their training shouldn't even go hand in hand. The early years of your training are more so for your quality of movement and your overall strength and power and all that kind of stuff. Like don't get caught up in trying to uh, you know throw that bridge down to go from one side to the other and make the transfer uh, to your sport. Like, like that's not your first priority. Um, moving from there, so kind of getting back on track a little bit, um, you know, so if I said, as I said, if we don't want to mix, you know, sport and training, how are we going to most effectively make training, um, you know, productive or, or transferable to the sport? So um, getting to that. So as I said before, I'm not making this up. This isn't me coming up with a whole new philosophy. Um, this is me just having half a brain and just knowing who to talk to or not, not talk to, who to follow in the industry. Um, I've seen what works. Uh Joe DeFranco, I've mentioned him before, is a guy that I learned a lot from in my early years. I still learn from, but um, I'm, you know, I'm certified through his certification, and I kind of, um, in short, and I could honestly get into this in a later episode talking about like mentors and stuff. But I basically, I, I saw him as a guy that had a lot of success with his athlete, athletes, a lot of success as a trainer, um, growing his brand, etc. And I said to myself, like, I like the way he goes about, um, you know, accomplishing. Um, or getting results with his with his athletes and um, the way he goes about uh, getting it done and programming it just it seems really practical um, and it worked for him and I've heard nothing but great things about him and I did a lot of looking look research into like what was involved in his training like before I even knew enough to really know what it all meant but like I liked what I saw so basically it was like all right well where did this guy learn from and the cool thing about it was now I'm looking at one source Joe DeFranco 
And that one source has, you know, 30 people of inspiration that have molded his philosophies and the way he goes about things. So um, looking into his uh, perspective, I, there was a lot of people he mentions right away that, you know, are, are, are key in shaping how he views things in training. So the, fir- the, the one person, and this is the reason I brought him up, that he talks a lot about uh, is Yuri Verkashansky. Um I believe I mentioned him on my Vertical Jump podcast uh a few weeks ago, uh, shout out to him first of all because like I've learned a lot from reading his material, reading how Joe DeFranco has applied his material. Um, he he's obviously fantastic with jump training, um, you know, plyometric work. I've learned a lot about depth depth jumps, drop jumps, um, you know, just building lower half power and everything from him, and and that that has been great. So uh, shout out, shout out Yuri, shout out Joe D. Um, but moving on. Yuri and, and Jody um, quotes him a lot, and Jody has done uh, similar podcasts on, on this issue. I kind of wanted to give my own perspective and outlook on it and what I've kind of experienced. So um, he talks about Yuri, and one of the things you learn in Joe's cert and, you know, um, you know that he, the, he references is Verkashansky's uh, principle of dynamic correspondence. Sounds super complicated. All that means is basically uh, a principle that, that identifies the... Um, the main ways you can make your uh, general physical preparation training or your basic strength and speed training uh, more transferable to sport activity. So essentially, um, basically, like what he lists as the the main area. Excuse me. Sorry about that. What he lists as the main areas um, to kind of like try to check off, have a checklist for it to uh, determine uh, if your training is more geared towards your sport are as follows. So. Amplitude, and I'm going to read the um, the actual listed um, definitions that he provides, and then I'll kind of give like a, a layman's term, like um, you know, meathead for dummies type of interpretation, um, and just try to make it really easy to understand for the athletes and coaches listening. Um, so he talks about the amplitude and direction of the movement. So uh, basically, think like the plane of motion. Um, which is performed in the sport. So I like, think for baseball, like uh, frontal plane, like lateral movements are really emphasized um, into transverse rotational. Um, just one example there. Uh, so like what in the sport, particularly like what are the main planes of motion that are utilized? And like, can we start to tie those in uh, to the training? So I said frontal and I'll give more examples as we go, but like frontal with a lateral jump rotational, like rotation work with like med balls and stuff like that. Um, the region of force. So, that goes into a little bit of, you know, one, what planes are you working in, but, like, what areas are you putting force into? So, like, um, are you putting a lot of force in that frontal plane with baseball uh, through rotation? Um, you know, in basketball, are you putting force unilaterally into jumps or football? You know, the region of force is kind of like multi-planner um, with, you know, like a running back jukes left to right, um, has to make cuts. You have to adjust to the random stimuli of movement from other players, stuff like that. So the areas in which force is being produced. So you can look at, uh, and this is like even more specific, um, some sports are very vertically dominant. So like you need a lot of vertical force uh, output. So like there's a lot of jumping involved. Um, and vertical obviously does come into play as gen- with general speed as well. But like I'm not going to be re- as concerned with 
um, let's just say a, a hockey player's uh, other than for just play pure building speed, I'm not going to be asking concerned about a hockey player's vertical force output um, in terms of like their actual game activity. They're not going to be jumping off the ice. Like I mean, maybe it happens every so often. Versus like training a basketball player, where I'm really going to be invested in their unilateral and uh, bilateral uh, force production in the vertical plane to get up for rebounds, shots, blocks, etc. Um, so like if you were looking at it from just speed aside, like. If, if the vertical power is going to transfer, like that's what he means by region of force production. Dynamics of the effort. So basically, um, what speed is is being uh, demonstrated in the movement. So if you have a ballistic sport like baseball, pitching and uh, you know throwing a baseball and swinging a bat, they're ballistic, they're explosive movements. Uh, it's probably not going to be, you know, I'm probably not going to serve me too well to just do strength work. Like I'm going to need to move my the bar fast and my bar speed work, do explosive activity, jumps, uh, rotational work, etc. Like you know, make sure you're matching the um, the speed in which the movements uh, you know are undertaken during the sport. I don't know if that's a word. Uh, I don't. know. I'm going to move on and hope. Uh, well, I kind of pointed it out now, so I guess that's pointless. Moving on from there. If I, if it's not a word, forgive me. I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't have my second coffee yet. Uh, that's the first three. From there, rate and time of like the max force production. So this can go into a little bit of energy systems too. But um, think of you know I said ballistic with baseball, right? So a pitcher isn't gonna you know do his wind up and have a throw, and like he doesn't. It's not a twenty second force output for a pitch. It's like two seconds, if that. Like it's it's bang quick. Um, you know, a basketball player is not jumping and have levitating through midair for 50 seconds. It's, you know, high amounts of force and a short burst uh, in a period of time. So it, it goes back to the energy system stuff that I talked about before. But, like, um, I'm not going to have a, a baseball player uh, work on, you know, exhibiting as much force as he possibly can for, for longer than, like, 12 seconds. It makes no sense. Even less than that. It's ballistic. That's anaerobic more so. It's not even it's not even anaerobic. Like, a hockey player, like, he's going to be more well-versed or, or better served if I'm having him do, um, you know, short sprints, uh, you know, a couple seconds here, like keeping their squat sets under, you know, that 10 to 12 second threshold while it's in that anaerobic zone, like having him do, you know, as much weight as he can for 30 reps in that takes a minute isn't going to be that productive for him because he's going to more so want to be able to put as much force as possible in for like 10 to 12 seconds, you know, busting his ass on the ice, Um and then he gets a line shift change or, or he's, you know, maybe coasting a little bit while the puck's moving around or whatever it is. Um, you know, understand, like, one, the rate, so like I said, dynamics of the effort, but, like, how much time is being spent with max force being out, being placed. Um, I might look at that differently for, like, a team sport athlete, like a hockey, football, baseball, basketball, et cetera, than I would for, um, like, a, uh, an Ironman competitor. Like, I have a, I have a, um, uh, a man who trains with me once a week who, who's looking to improve his um, his work in his Ironman competitions. And for him, he's going to need to be, you know, he's going to be swimming for, for long periods of time or, or doing a bike, doing the bike or, or running or whatever it is and having to beat people and put a lot of force output in. So he might work with more lactic power where I'm trying to like fatigue his muscles and, and force him to be putting lots of force in when he is fatigued. So like different than what I would do with a hockey player most of the time or what I would do with a baseball player. Like, Examples there, two big things, um, and then you have to look at and he he listed as the uh, regime of muscular work. So basically, what muscles are mostly used, what muscle groups are being used for the movements of that sport. So um, understanding, you know, 
a base like with a baseball player, um, you know, a guy, a, a, a hitter, the lower half is important, the hips and everything like that, the glutes, um, you know, understanding with pitching and the core obviously is what everybody, I'm not even going to list that because it's important for you no matter what sport you play. Um, you know, looking at a pitcher, uh, the upper back, the shoulders, like they're throwing a baseball, like you're going to need some kind of um, some work in those areas. You're going to need to get into, you know, letting the upper back work while you have the athlete brace their core, use their lower half, etc. So um, looking at the muscular groups that are being used um, in the sport itself. Hockey, a lot of quad uh a lot of quad action in the uh, the art of the skate uh, art of skating. So just examples like that. Um, so looking from there, um, basically, like I said, some common mistakes to be made um, when trying to be quote unquote too specific. Uh, here are a couple of examples. So banding like a hockey stick or a baseball bat and like trying to make it quote unquote resisted, just like stupid, dumb. Like I'm gonna be quite frank here. Like it's ridiculous. Um, like imagine having a volleyball player and you're like, oh, I'm going to get you used to setting with a volleyball because, or I'm sorry, again, pointing to the lack of coffee. Um, I'm going to have them do sets with, you know, their, their practice setting with a, uh, a medicine ball, or I'm going to have them, uh, I'm going to toss a medicine ball and they're going to have to jump and, and, uh, with their arms extended and like push it back to me because that'll make them more powerful and strong. Like, no, leave that to when they're, you know, practicing with their coach. They can work on that. Maybe an alternative, like, oh, the volleyball player, you know, jumps in front of the net with their hands extended. Like, they got to be able to jump with their arms in that position. Like, maybe have them do um, some jump work with, uh, an, you know, an overhead load or you put a PVC pipe in their hands um, to make them have that overhead extension and have them get used to putting um, force into the ground into a jump in that position. Maybe that's a better alternative. Um, maybe I'm better off having a baseball player do rotational or hockey player do rotational medicine ball work for their shot swing or, or for their throwing um, instead of having a stick or a, a bat banded because I'm just going to ruin their form and limit the range of motion. Like Those are some um, alternatives and some examples. So you really like avoid trying to um, avoid trying to tie the two together. Like I said, think of, and you know we'll go back and review this, but think of, again, there's those five main checkpoints and those characteristics that you want to check off if you're looking to bridge the transfer uh, transferability of your training to your sport. So um, the planes of motion in which are involved in the sport, try to link those up with your training. I mentioned the lateral jumps and the rotational work for baseball as an example uh, for the frontal and transverse planes. Um, the region in which force is being produced. Uh, understand, um, you know, vertical, linear, uh, horizontal, like lateral, whatever it is. Understand the regions of force that are most uh, appropriate for the sport. So um, that basketball player example with the vertical jump uh, or the the force in the vertical plane being slightly more important than like a sport like hockey, for example. Um, dynamic to the effort. If a sport is explosive and there's fast movements, you need to make sure that there are explosive and fast movements in your training, right? Um, the rate and time of maximum force production. Whether it's energy systems and, and not, you know, training the wrong energy systems or, you know, understanding that like, hey, my my hockey player is better with his three to five rep sets of squats or my baseball player or my uh, football player is better with their um, three to five rep sets of squats to just show how much max force they can, in, you know, put in um, to the ground or, or display in, you know, that 10 to 12 second window versus saying, all right, let's go do 20 reps. It's less weight, but it's, you know, how much force you can put or your max energy output in a longer period of time when it's not as commonly used as like say that um, – 
that Iron Man uh, competitor that I mentioned. And then the uh, areas of the muscles, the muscle groups that are being used um, in the sport, try to use them in um, you know the training room or the strength training world, like your GPP. Uh, as I said, when you're younger, like you want to work all your muscle groups and, and to be a balanced, well-conditioned, strong, and explosive athlete. But um, as you progress and you're a little more advanced, like you can emphasize some more areas more than others because they really transfer more to your sport. I mentioned the back example and the shoulder example. Um, you know, for a pitcher, the quads, for a hockey player, etc. So think of those five areas when you're really trying to bridge the gap between um, the sport and the uh, strength training, and you're never going to find yourself having that problem of bringing the sport incorrectly into the weight room. Thank you for listening to the Muscles and Management Podcast brought to you by Challenger Strength. I'm your host, Jerry Filippo, helping you build your body and your business.